The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, were supposed, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your house. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for the gift of salvation. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that just your gospel will um, stick out in new ways to us today, that you will speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, and just pray uh, for Brother Martin that you will uh, empower him as he speaks. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, it is a, a privilege of mine to be here, so whether you're watching online or here in person, I'm thrilled that you can worship with us. Um, as Brooke said, Last time I got to be here with y'all, well, I was here actually during um, Good Friday service outdoors, but the last time I got to preach in this space was uh, when Grace City was about eight months old. So uh, I'm thankful. I am so grateful for this space, uh, for this church. I love your pastor. I love uh, your, your team, Billy, um, Brooke, uh, and the whole gang. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan from afar. Um, but also sort of um, in proximity. I also serve on the management team of Grace City, uh, walking alongside Randall, overseeing some of the, um, the, the spiritual life of the church and even some of the finances and some of the big decisions. And so I have the privilege of serving in that way. And so, in that way. so while many of you have never met me, um, I, I wanted to just come here and say thank you. Thank you for being a light in this community, for being a, a church that um, brings the good news into this space, especially uh, given the sort of last few months, last few years that we've had. I'm grateful for your leadership and grateful for you as a, as a church. So 
And it's my privilege to open up God's word with you today, and we are in Acts 16. Uh, it's a lengthier story, but uh, I, th- I think it reads like a narrative, and then there's three parts of that story that I, w- I want to highlight. So as we continue in the book of Acts, uh, I want to highlight uh, essentially uh, this truth about the gospel, that the gospel is a message for all people, no matter your background, no matter your politics, no matter your preferences, no matter your age, no matter what your week has looked like, no matter what your last few years have looked like, the gospel is good news for all. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear that God welcomes you. God welcomes you. And because of that message, I pray and hope that this place continues um, as recipients of God's good news, recipients of God's grace, that we would continue to offer that to one another in this space um, and also to our community. So if you're checking out Christianity, I hope that you'll find this helpful um, as you are exploring the truth claims of the gospel. I hope that this might not necessarily answer all the questions that you're asking, but might uh, answer some of the questions that you're asking about, uh, about Jesus. And if you call this place home and or if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you've, you've been a Christian for a while, uh, I encourage you to lean into uh, this truth and that this truth would um, grow more deeply in you uh, and that you would find encouragement from it today. So we're in Acts 16 and uh, looking at verses 13 to 31. Here is the context. So if you want to go back there, um, this The story takes place in the city of Philippi. So to just give you an idea, Philippi is located uh, sort of north of Greece and south of modern-day Turkey, so uh, um, sort of south of ancient Macedonia. Um, This was a Roman colony. This was a place of great wealth and of great privilege. Uh, A high sense of civic and, and cultural duty existed in this place. And so this story takes place, as this story is, is being told by Luke, the author, um, he's showing us three very distinct different types of people in Lydia, uh, who is wealthy, uh, the slave girl, who is the exact opposite. She's, she's a slave, she's poor, and then this Roman jailer. So what I want to unpack today is to look at these three different people, ethnically, socioeconomically, different in their worldview, different spiritually, and how the one message of the gospel reaches every single one of them. Three different people, the single welcoming message of the gospel. So who are these three uh, characters? As you heard the story, um, you've probably uh, noticed how, uh, if you'd imagine and picture sort of their lifestyle, where Lydia was a person of wealth. Uh, In verse 14, it tells us that she's from a city called Thyatira, located in Asia Minor. So uh, she's a foreigner. She's non-Greek and she's non-Jewish. She's a foreigner. The slave girl, on the other hand, was Greek. Um, she, she was a fortune teller and she sort of worshipped around the temple of Apollos, which uh, was a Greek place of worship. And the jailer was Roman. Back then, almost all silver, civil service jobs were given to uh, Roman soldiers or ex-Roman soldiers. So these three folks represents three different types of people in the world. And if you pay attention to the book of Acts as Luke is writing it, um, he's, he's, he not only tells us that the gospel is reaching one community and then to the next city and then it's reaching out to the rest of the world. And so when he gets to this point in Acts 16, he's showing us that the message of the gospel is reaching all kinds of people. 
And then these three are different uh, in socioeconomic status. Lydia is described as being very wealthy, um, being very successful. She was a dealer in purple dyes. And back then, when, when you are a dealer of, of uh, purple dyes in Thyatira, um, it, it was, one, purple was a, a, a color of wealth and of status. Uh, and to be a dealer of cloth back then was a high-paying gig. Um, so she's a traveling businesswoman. She would be like that of a CEO entrepreneur. She would have a main office in, in Milan, uh, a, a summer house in you know Beverly Hills, and another place in, in New York. Right? She was. Think of uh, what's that movie? Sort of uh, Meryl Streep and The Devil Wears Prada, right? Without 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 the the, the devilness, I guess. Um, she was a person of power. She was a person of wealth and of, of influence, which is rare for a woman in that cultural context, in, in a male-dominated society. But here you have um, uh, Lydia uh, um, with wealth and, and with influence. Verse 15 says that when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So there's this emphasis of her household, her belonging. And that's important because back then women didn't have property. They didn't have things. They were sort of second tier or even even lower in society. So she had property. Lydia uses her own initiative and doesn't consult a male relative or a husband to, to have permission to do any of these things. Um, so even Luke is being sort of countercultural in telling her story here. In contrast to her, you have the slave girl. She's described as the exact opposite of Lydia. Lydia, who's this put-together, right, sort of um, reasonable woman. The slave girl was not just poor. She was a slave. She was completely powerless. She was exploited. And people were using her for economic gain. Uh, And then you have the Roman jailer. Uh, The Roman jailer wasn't necessarily rich. He wasn't poor. Uh, Like the slave girl, you have more of like a blue-collar, middle-class, ex-military type. So there were different socioeconomically, right? And, and so Lydia eats regularly at Donovan's Steakhouse down the street. You have uh, the slave girl in East Village downtown uh, who stands in line at Father Joe's for food. And then, and then you have the soldier who drinks beer at the bar with his friends at uh, Firehouse uh, Pub and PB. Is, is that too stereotypical? Um, the point is you can't get any more different than these three different types of people. They were different in socioeconomic status. But they're also different spiritually. Um, they, uh, so if you look at Lydia, she, she, was, she represents someone who's sort of spiritually hungry or, or spiritually empty. She was searching. There was a video that was done a few years ago on Tom Brady, at an interview, and he was being interviewed after he had just won a bunch of uh, Super Bowl rings, and they, the interviewer asked him, like, so what's next? And, some, and you've probably seen this. It went viral. He says, I don't know, but there's got to be more than this, right? By the world standards, he has everything. And he says, there's got to be more than this. A man with so much but so empty, that's basically Lydia. How do we know that? Well, she had achieved something back then culturally that whether you're a man or a woman, it was hard, hard to have, right? She was a part of the social elite circle, but, when, but we're told that she... Right? She's non-Jew, non-Greek, but we're told that she's a worshiper of God. She's, she's searching out um, the, uh, the, 
the, the God of Judaism. Why? why? Why would she leave her pagan roots to pursue something completely different and to pursue something like Judaism? Well, unless she was spiritually empty and searching, that's what led her there. You hear of many celebrities who have all the power, all the fame, like they have everything by the world's standards. But often you find them the most sort of curious about spirituality, uh, curious about different types of religion. Like you would have never heard about Kabbalah or you've never heard of uh, Scientology if it wasn't for some of these, um, the, uh, the, the, these celebrities dabbling in it, right? Many are searching despite having it all by the world's standards. Lydia on the surface had it all. Lydia looked the part, she talked the part, um, and on the surface, she looked like she had everything in control. She was a moral person, sort of a religious person, you could describe her that way. Um, but deep down inside, she was empty, she was searching. Then you have the slave girl. Again, the exact opposite of who Lydia is in many ways. For her life, her life was um, the, the exact opposite of control, but full of chaos. The text tells us that she, was, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future in verse 16. She was a fortune teller. Greeks were fortune tellers. She, uh, and, the, and the passage tells us that she was, she was demon possessed, possessed by a spirit. If you, uh, if you look in the original language within the Greek, it actually says that she had the spirit of a python. And here's the background to that. In Greece, there's this famous temple of the Apollos. Uh, this was a religious sanctuary where uh, it gave cryptic predictions and oracles about the future because the Greeks were really into fortune telling. And so this is what she was into. And in front of the temple was this uh, statue of a python. So, so, so she's described as having this spirit of a python, of this fortune telling sort of cult um, culture. And back then when people came across those who were different, those who were speaking different languages, those who had sort of an erratic behavior, those who uh, were socially off, um, they would be described as people who had the spirit of a python because they're different. And because of her strange behavior and her mind was off, these men exploited her. So while Lydia was really put together, the slave girl was the exact opposite. She was disorderly and she was undisciplined, a life full of lawlessness. In verse 17, it says, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and then finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her and the spirit left her. So she's, she's following Paul and Silas and, and she's saying, uh, these are the men um, servants of the God of the most high and she's not saying that praising them. She's not acknowledging a, a, a particular calling in their life. She's mocking them. Look at these Jesus freaks. Look at these Jesus followers. Followers of Jesus, right? She's mocking them. And so this is why in verse 17, Paul turns around and he's like, enough. He says, enough. She does not really recognize Paul and Silas as men of God. She's taunting them. And so this is why Paul rebukes her. And, and really, he's not rebuking her. He's rebuking the spirit that's in within her. She was troubled. She was, she, was in, she was a religious mess. She wasn't necessarily searching for God, and she wasn't indifferent to spirituality either, but she was filled with spiritual turmoil. 
So you have the morally upstanding person in Lydia. You have the slave girl who is under demonic pressure, demonic influence. Then you have the Roman jailer. Uh, the Roman jailer, uh, he, he's indifferent to spiritual things. Uh, his, his life, there's nothing really going wrong with his life. It's not necessarily great either. Um, but there's, there's no interest in the slightest in any sort of spiritual matters. See, Lydia knows a little bit about God, right? She's studying the Bible, or at least the Old Testament um, is, is what she had back then. She's searching. The slave girl is dabbling in danger, dangerous avenues and in, in, in occult, right? She's, uh, she is spiritual in that sense, but this, but this Roman jailer, no concern. Sort of apathetic, not just to life, but to, to everything else. So again, completely different um, in spirituality, coming from three different places in life. And then they're also different in their worldviews. They're, they're, they're operating out of uh, different paradigms and how to make sense of the world. One scholar puts it this way, within these three characters, it's sort of a case study uh, of people who are sort of the cognitive type, people who are more intuitive, and then people who are more pragmatic, uh, need concrete things. Because here's, here's, uh, here's what I mean. Lydia, she represents more of a cognitive uh, reasoning type person. Um, cognitive types are heady. They process everything up here, right? Um, and and, and they, they reason everything. They, they want an argument. They want an apologetic for, for things. Give them something to study. Give them, them, give them something to think on. I, I want to reason this out. I want, I want rational discourse. That's Lydia. She's, uh, she wants to have a Bible study and she wants to have a conversation. Who are the cognitive types in this room? That's me. I process everything up here. Um, it has to make sense up here, right? For, for those of us that process the world this way. The slave girl uh, was, was different. She, she was more intuitive. Uh, maybe you could describe her as more of a feeler. She doesn't necessarily need to know. She needs to feel it. She needs to experience it. She, she represents people who says, I, 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 want to, uh, I want to feel good about this experience. I want to know that it's a good thing. Someone who you can't necessarily reason with. In fact, given her state, you probably couldn't reason with her. You probably couldn't. What she needs is a, a, a sort of direct movement experience deep into her heart, sort of that, that uh, reaches the deep existential matters deep into her uh, life. It needs to make sense, not here for her. It needs to make sense in here. So how, and so how, how, how is she processing things? By the heart, through experiences. And then lastly, you have the Roman jailer. Um, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't need to reason. He doesn't need to feel it. What he needs is evidence. He needs to see it. These are the people that say, show it to me. Like, prove it to me. I need something concrete, right? They're the pragmatic types. They don't, they, don't need, they don't need to think about it. They don't need to feel it. They need to see it. They want to see the evidence in your life. He won't even set foot inside um, the temple. He's not looking for a deep emotional experience or a rational kind of argument. He needs to see practical proof. He needs to see that it's real. So perhaps you could relate to one of these three characters where you're at spiritually, or a combination of, um, of them. But despite where you are, despite who they are, the miracle of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that 
the gospel reaches every single one of them. And no matter where you're at today, the gospel can reach you exactly where you're at in your skepticism, in, in your doubts, in your struggles, in your present circumstances. For you, it might not necessarily need to make sense up here, but maybe you need to feel it here. And maybe for you, it's none of that. You just need to see, I need the church to show me proof because Martin, the last few years, the, the church has shown me the exact opposite of this. Maybe that's where we're at. The gospel reaches all of them and transforms all three of them. Because the gospel is not a formula. The gospel is not this linear experience. The gospel's dynamic. The gospel is, is, uh, has the power to reach us because the gospel is God's spirit working in this world, working in us. It's the spirit of God at work in us. It's dynamic. It has the ability to meet us, to speak to us, to show us wherever we're at. Look at how the gospel speaks, meets every single one of these three characters. We're told that Lydia is trying to understand and obey the Bible, right? So she's reading the scriptures. She's searching it out. She's, she's um, reading about Abraham in the Old Testament. She's reading about this promise of blessing that God would give through him. She's reading about all the prophets. She's reading about uh, the sacrificial system in the tabernacle that God had set up. She's reading about um, all these kings. She's reading about all these sacrifices. She's trying to reason it all out. She's trying to find an airtight sort of argument. And then, and then she has this encounter with Paul. And it's not explicit exactly what Paul says to her. But Paul says something to her. Then all of a sudden everything clicks. What is it that Paul says to her that made all of this make sense all of a sudden? It doesn't tell us exactly what Paul says, but we do know what Paul says everywhere else in the Bible. So we, make an, we can make inferences and we, make an, we can make assumptions of what Paul probably said to her. And here's probably what Paul said. He probably said, Lydia, as you are attempting to make sense of the Bible, when, when you are reading about um, the Old Testament, when you're reading about all these prophets, when you're trying to make, you're trying to make sense of this argument, what you're looking for is not truth as an abstract principle, Paul says what you're looking for is a person. To make sense of the truth claims of the Bible is not truth in an abstract way. It's to make sense of it in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why, this is why God through, uh, through Jesus comes and, and, and the gospel of John says the word became flesh because Jesus is the logos. The logos means reason, but logos also means a, a, a person who embodies truth. That's Jesus. And this is what Paul is telling her. He, he's saying, Jesus is the answer to all your searching, Lydia. When you're reading about Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham points to Jesus. When you're reading about the blessings that God would bless the world through Abraham, you're actually, it's actually Jesus that you find that blessing. When you read about all the prophets in the Old Testament talking about the promises of God, they find their amen in Jesus. When you read about the sacrificial system and you hear about this lamb that is sacrificed for the sins of the world, Jesus is the lamb of the world. And so when, when, when um, Paul starts to unpack this, all the stuff that she's searched in the Old Testament, it clicks. She says, oh my goodness. That is the key to understanding life. That is the, the key to understanding everything that I've read in the Bible. Jesus. Jesus makes sense of life. Because it's Jesus, the Messiah, that God's people truly longed for. 
It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who ushers in the kingdom of God because all of the promises of the Bible find their amen, the Bible says, in Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. Every king, every prophet, every priest, every hero, every lamb, every sacrifice, they all point to Jesus. So finally she sees, she hears, and she understands things made sense. It clicked. What clicked for her? The person of Jesus Christ. She realized that life was not primarily about a religious, about being religious and moral, because that's what she was trying. She was studying it, and she was trying to apply it, and she was trying to do the gospel in her life. But she realized that, that rather, rather of trying to do the gospel, that the gospel is something that Christ has already done for her. Instead, it was about responding to what he has done. Responding to the to the truth and, and to the work of Jesus. See, life is not give me a little bit of Jesus so he can give me what I get and give me what I want. Jesus is what you get. Jesus is not the means to get something, Jesus is what you get. Jesus is the ultimate goal. She got Jesus. For some of you trying to make sense of what you have learned about. Here at Grace City, in Bible studies in the past, or, or, or what you've read in the Bible, or, or, or um, just past experiences, the scriptures over and over again tells us to behold Jesus, to see Jesus, look at him, look at his claims, look at his life, look at his words, study his words. Is he, is he who he really is, or is he what the Bible says he is? Look at Jesus. I mean, it's, that's... That's one of our applications, practical things that we're called to every single day is that we would just behold Christ in our life. Secondly, the slave girl, how does the gospel come to her? Well, Paul doesn't come alongside her and says, oh, I see that you're interested in spiritual matters. Let's go to Starbucks and go through a six-week Bible study on this, that Beth Moore wrote, right? Like, that's not how he approaches her. Remember, she wasn't even in the right mindset to do that. The gospel does not come to her through reason like Lydia, but she needed a heart experience. She needed something to happen in her life. She needed to, to have a power encounter, if you will. And, and so she doesn't only have, because if you consider her life, she doesn't only have demonic monsters or demonic monster ruling over her mind and her, her, her uh, emotions and, and her entire life, right? She's psychologically and emotionally bound through the demon spirit but she's also socially bound through human masters. She's being exploited. She is the victim of social injustice as well as demonic oppression. That's how often the, the evil one works, by the way. Not just personally, but the, the evil one works in structures systemically. But look at what happens. Look at how the gospel frees her. Verse 18 Paul turns to her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when the spirit left her, a few things changed. Well, one, she's liberated. She's liberated holistically, though. She's liberated internally and personally. She, she, and, and she's also liberated socially, right? Look at the text. She gets her mind back. She gets herself back. And when this happens... When she gets her mind back, when she realizes sort of like what's happening and how she's fallen under this exploitative powers, she no longer fits 
in the former exploitative economic system because she's no longer willing to go through with it, right? The people could no longer take advantage of her. That's why the people were angry. That's why, the, that's, that's why um, in verse 19, when, the, when her owners realized that their, their hope of making money was gone, it says that they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged him and, and threw him in jail. They're upset with Paul and Silas because they, they interrupted, they disrupted the status quo. They disrupted their system for making money. In verse 22, the crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and be beaten with rods. Listen to this. The crowd joined in on it. Everybody was in on it. It wasn't just these human masters. The whole, the whole society was in on this, this girl's exploitation. It was complete social injustice. They were furious because Paul and Silas weren't just preaching the gospel. They were doing justice work. And we're reminded that the gospel compels us not to just to tell about it, but the gospel compels us to do something about it, to live in light. That's why you, y'all went and participated with Generate Hope. And that's why y'all, every single week, are sent out to live the gospel in light of what, the, what Jesus has done in your communities. The gospel works in us and through us. The very message of the gospel compelled them to confront the unjust system that this girl was under. Such a relevant point to our own context today. And when we find ourselves in proximity to those who are marginalized and oppressed in our society, whether it's speaking up or standing in um, or, or doing something about it, it will cost you. It will cost you. But the gospel is the announcement of good news, but it's also about social responsibility because the good news of the gospel is not good news if it's not good news for the poor and the oppressed. We show people love, God's love through word and deed. So this is how she's liberated. She's confronted spiritually, but the, the social structures in her life are confronted as well. It was this experience right at her heart and, and, and her social surrounding that, that the gospel comes right in. But what liberated her? It was the name of Jesus. It was the power of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Then finally, the jailer. How has he changed? This man who is so indifferent to anything spiritual. Well, it says that after the people beat up Paul and Silas, they're put in jail, and this jailer was in charge of them. But notice how he encounters God. In verse 25, it says that the jailer sees Paul and Silas singing, and they're praising hymns, or uh, they're, they're singing hymns, and they're praising God, right? So Paul and Silas are thrown in jail unjustly. They're suffering. They're, they're in chains. They're behind bars, and they're, and they're praising God. They're singing, and so this jailer can't make sense of what he sings. Like, what is wrong with these two guys? Why, why are they, they're suffering, but why are they filled with joy? They have a joy that is so deep, so profound, that they can sing in the midst of torture, that they can sing in the midst of suffering. He's never seen that before. He doesn't know what to do with it. So he's looking at that. And then the story says that when, when the story says that an earthquake happened, the prison doors, what, just flung open. 
And to understand what's happening here, historians teach us that uh, the law said that if a jailer or if a prisoner escaped from jail, the prisoner would be punished by death. And so when these prison doors are opened, here's the opportunity for Paul and Silas to escape. But Paul and Silas knew that if they did escape, and they had every right to, they, had every, they were put in jail unjustly, but they knew that if they escaped, the jailer would have died. They knew that. And not just them, they knew that if anybody in jail escaped, the jailer would die. So what does Paul and Silas do? Not only did they stay, but they convince all the other prisoners to stay in their cell, doors wide open. I mean, that's crazy. Why? Because they knew that it would cost the jailer's life if they escaped. What is happening here? So the, so the jailer is seeing this. They're seeing that he's seeing them praising God and singing hymns, and now he's seeing them return evil with grace. He's seeing, he's seeing them return evil with good, and he could not make sense of it. What's happening? Well, what Paul and Silas are doing is they're identifying with their Savior. Because when you, when you see Paul and Silas suffering and praising God, who does that remind you of? Jesus. Isn't it not Jesus all the way through his entire life and all the way through the cross? The passion of the cross, the story of the passion tells us that how, how Jesus suffered. And all the way through his suffering and death on the cross, Jesus praises God. He's, so these two men, Paul and Silas, are identifying with Jesus. And then when Paul and Silas stay in jail at the cost of, of this, this jailer's life who doesn't deserve it, they deserve to be free. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. Because Jesus on the cross who dies unjustly for sinners says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because Jesus knew that if he escaped the cross and said, I'm over, this is, I don't deserve this, we're doomed and so he takes the wrath. He takes the punishment. So Paul and Silas are identifying with their Savior. And this jailer is seeing all this. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's never seen grace before. But you know what he's experiencing? You know what he's seeing? He's seeing Jesus for the first time in them. He's seeing Jesus. He's encountering Jesus in these two men. And the jailer says, I don't know what this is. I can't, it, can't, it doesn't make sense here. I'm not trying to make sense here. I'm not trying to make sense of it here. But I see this evidence in front of me in you. And I want it. He wants Jesus. That's what he wants. He sees the evidence in these two, two men. We have three different people whose lives are changed by one gospel, the welcoming message of the gospel. The penetrating power of God's love the overwhelming presence of God's spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened to you in this room, Jesus says to you today, you're welcome. There is no religious type. There is no type of person. There is no type of personality. The gospel is not just for the rich. It's not just for the poor. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not just for adults. It's not just for kids. It's not just for the moral types. It's not just for the immoral types. It's not just for the religious. It's not just for the irreligious. Because it's not based on any human factor, but based on God's love for this world and that alone. Grace City, may you hear God's love for you in Christ. And may you feel that by God's spirit. 
And because, of the, and because the gospel comes to us, we who are recipients of God's grace ought to be, gen- be so generous with that grace to others. What would our city look like to experience this kind of grace? A city full of grace. It's powerful. It's, it's beautiful. It's who you are. Grace City, it's who you are. Your very name reminds you every day of who God is and what he has done for you and how it compels you to live in this world. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are a God who does not stay distant, that you are a God who comes in proximity to us, to our sin, to our brokenness, to our suffering, to our experiences. Even in the ways that we've tried to be Lydia and religious and try to make sense of the world on our own and try to, to muster up enough will and religious goods to, to, to save ourselves, Lord, you still meet us there. Or, or whether we're like the slave girl and we've just, we've just dabbled in the exact opposite of what you want from us, you meet us there. Or like the Roman jailer, we're just indifferent to life and we're just kind of, we just don't care. Lord, you care. You cared about us. It's a powerful message. It's a beautiful message. Lord, we are grateful for it. We're grateful for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.